This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here with my co-host for today, Susie Glassman. Susie, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. So Susie, uh, her internet is being a little weird, so normally we have webcam so we can kind of see each other's reactions. Um, but we won't see that today, or we won't be able to do that today. So some of these transitions might might seem a little bit weird. So we did we did get criticism, and I have to say, like I'm one of these people that might be overly sensitive to criticism. Um, but uh, you know, someone mentioned that um, you know the the women on the podcast can't get a word in. Um, and some of that's by design, but we are talking about doing a, a women's only podcast, which uh, which I thought should be called Period Talk. And the reason why I thought that is because then no guy would go a hundred miles within you know any podcast called Period Talk. But apparently, Period Talk was already taken. So which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So Susie was vehemently against period talk for obvious reasons um so we're we're looking at doing a, a a women's only podcast so so um paul doesn't overly dominate the podcast but uh you know part of you know what we do with these podcasts um is there they tend to be topics that i want to explore in depth and kind of the role of Susie in these scenarios or Meredith in the other podcasts um, is really just to sort of check my math, you know. And so as we're going through the conversation, you know, if there's anything that I haven't covered that they know, um, that that's sort of what we run through. So, you know, I, I will say that I think that most of the podcasts that we do where I'm kind of the primary person it is going to be like that, you know, and I don't mean to be overly sensitive to it, but at the end of the day, you know, that's that's why we started doing podcasts. I think the, the, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is that doing this is really hard, you know, the, it's not for everyone, you know, we, we you know, even back in the building blocks days, um, we kind of, we kind of, um, what is shoehorned? a few people into that podcast that probably would have preferred not to do podcasts. Um, and so that's the reason, one of the reasons why building blocks doesn't um, even really exist anymore. Plus we, we, I guess we sort of exhausted all the topics right there, Susie. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly we were just having a hard time thinking of more topics that we could bring you. And then I kind of like the style of a little bit more free flow conversation. Yeah. Um, although maybe if we need to bring back kind of the PowerPoint presentation style at some point, we can certainly do that. Um, but for now, we're just kind of taking a break and enjoying the, the kind of the chit chat back and forth. Yeah, I, I, I'm I've actually um, because we were opening things up a little bit more one of the things that I thought about was kind of bringing back some of the old, um, you know, interview um, right. that I used to do, whether it be with clients or whether it be with a coach or someone outside, you know, the Tracy Mann um, kind of comes to mind. 
where we had some audio problems on that one and I've always wanted to kind of get her back. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's local and we talk a lot on Facebook. Well, not a lot, but you know, as much as people talk on Facebook. Right. And uh, I always thought that, that she'd be a cool one. Um, I think a lot of the focus that we were doing back in the day, if anybody listened to those podcasts, they were a little brotastic, right? And one of the things I always liked about Tracy's point of view was that it was more general population and that tends to be sort of what we what we do and, and sort of um, really what this podcast today is gonna be about, right? And so, the, the podcast today is going to be if you have a lot of fat to lose. Now, you know, that can be relative, and, and we'll kind of run through some scenarios related to that. But what we're really talking about is if you're severely obese, right, and the changes that can be made. And just some of those conversations that we have on a daily basis And I think to myself with those folks, you know, wow, I could change your life fundamentally um, in ways that you're not even considering. And so that's why I wanted to to do this podcast and kind of go in depth on that, because I think that a lot of people tend to go to some type of extreme, you know, where they're eliminating food groups and, and things of this nature. It might not be necessary, right? And it wasn't necessary in my case. It hasn't been necessary in the case of a lot of people that have lost 100-plus added form. Um, And so the only thing I'm going to go through a little bit, uh, we don't have any real uh, super events coming up. We're actually, we started getting some Facebook uh, notifications for summer camp. We're not doing summer camp this year. Uh, last year we did a staff only summer camp and um, we did have a few clients reach out and, and say that they would, you know, be into it. A little bit of the topic of this podcast is a little bit of what happened with summer camp, right? So <laughs> with summer camp, um, we had to commit to a serious financial commitment to make that event happen. Right. And, you know, of course, everyone was like, yeah, I'm in. Man, this sounds amazing. And then, you know, it's sort of like that trip to Mardi Gras when you're like 21 years old and uh, all your friends want to go to Mardi Gras with you and you think, how am I going to fit all these people in the car? And then... You know, it just ends up being like you and your mom going to Mardi Gras, you know, <laughs> because everyone backs out. And that was a little bit with summer camp because I think people are conditioned and it's not bad or good. It's just that's the way they're conditioned is they're re- ready to sign up for something where we're going to eat rice cakes for all three days and we're going to we're going to you know, just drink tea, and and the goal of this weekend is going to be for everybody to lose 20 pounds. Everybody shows up to that event, right? Right. Um, the events where you know you're going to have fun, it's going to be a good time, 
you know, those are the types of things that as adults, those are the things that get cut first, right? And so you can make a priority in your life to go to like some camp where you're going to sweat off a bunch of water weight and just eat rice cakes and drink tea, but you won't make a priority to visit, you know, um, a, you know, a summer camp type of event, which is, is frustrating for me, maybe a little bit, but at the same time, I kind of get it. Right. And so, you know, we may put it out there, um, but it won't be a financial commitment because we just can't eat those kind of dollars anymore. Um, but you know, if, uh, we, you know, end up going to Yellowstone as an example for a winter trip and, um, you know, clients want to make a case for coming to visit, we would love to have you, you know, um, when we went to Outer Banks, there was a few people that talked about coming to meet us. Kind of never happened, you know. Um, and so, you know, we had a great time. So, you know, we might have some flexibility. So kind of keep that in mind. The only other thing that's really kind of coming up is we've been talking about this a lot. A lot and I want to make it very clear for listeners of the podcast and longtime Form members is that if you have friends and family, we will get them into each reform. But we're really committed to this invite-only idea. And the reason why we are is because we want to keep the quality of service really super high. And we want to kind of limit um, the amount of, of, of sign-ups. But friends and family, we, we want them signed up. You know, if, if someone reaches out, and they want their their wife to also be a member. We're not gonna say no, right? We're gonna we're gonna wedge them in, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, we are as popular as we've ever been, and um and that's a good thing, you know. And then people say, well, why don't you just hire more coaches? Well, the process of getting a coach from you know total noob to really functional is I would say at least a year, right? And so we are working on solutions in that regard, but to be honest with you, I'd I'd much rather limit the supply. You know, I just feel like, uh, you know, there was a a point in the trajectory of E2 Forum where I was like, we're coming after you Weight Watchers. And we actually might end up meeting up with Weight Watchers, but the other way, because they're struggling. Uh, so they, they might actually come down to us. Um, but, uh, but I like, I like, uh, I like what we are, right? I like, I like that we're a small business. I like the fact that um, if you come into Facebook Messenger, you're talking to the owner. And I really don't think you know, and I'm not saying that I'm on 24-7 or anything like that because you're going to get a lot of the main coaches that you'll be able to talk to. But when you look at it realistically, you know, you're not going to get to talk to Oprah, right? You're not going to get to talk to the Weight Watcher CEO or really a lot of the people that do programs like this. And to me, I think those people are missing out, you know, because, you know, for me to get to know everyone from like the minute they start, you know, that's, that's like a really cool thing, 
And I think yeah. Susan sort of sees that from the coaching side where the people just come in maybe a little bit better onboarded. Do you feel you feel like that 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 handshake is going well, Susie? Yeah, for sure. And I think that more that you and you know, some of the other folks that that handle um, answering questions and things like that get to know you guys before you join. You just uh, your plan is set a little bit better from the get go, so that you can get off to a faster start. Sometimes, you know, when we don't know anything about you, it's a little bit of um, mathematical guesswork from a very educated standpoint. Um, but, you know, the faster we get to know you, the better. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people listening to that, you know, might not understand that, like, small details sort of matter a lot with this, right? And that'll be kind of the topic of the podcast today. And so I'm going to hop right into it because, frankly, you know, there's a there's a lot to bite off here. And, uh, you know, I think this could go into a lot of different directions. But I'm going to come out, and I'm just going to say it right from the way that I feel it, right? When I created e Perform, you know, I basically had lost, you know, over 100 pounds. And to me, you know, it was a lot easier than the traditional trajectory that most people would take. So when I looked at it and I started writing my blogs and things of this nature, you know, I guess I really didn't practically think of who would show up, right? I thought it'd be guys like me. You know, I was not thinking of it like a business. And but but the fact that that I was focused on food as an ally um, resonated a lot early on, mm-hmm. and ended up showing up was a lot of people who you know they saw you know my um, you know transformation you know from you know r- roughly 260 pounds to 150 pounds and and a lot of 140 pound women showed up and uh it's not that we can't help those people and that we don't love helping those people and sort of changing their view of food is also really helpful right it's a big part of what we do um but i feel to this day uh it frustrates me a little bit that we don't have more people like I was, right? And because those are the folks that we can make the biggest impact on their life, but they're also the people that are most prone to use quick fix diets, you know, a lot of things like that. So, so let's start there, right? Um, but that's a little bit of my frustration. And I think the, the other thing that, that gets a little bit of, of frustrating and then we'll kind of jump into kind of the basic idea. But the, the other thing is that when we'll put out, you know, a transformation where somebody lost a hundred pounds of fat, um, the, if the person doesn't have eight pack abs, crickets. 
And mm -hmm. while that frustrates me, because I think those people have come the farthest, I do kind of get it, right? But whenever you think to yourself, the media did this to me, right? Or whenever you think to yourself, you know, that you're being portrayed or negative things are being portrayed one way or the other, and I'm not saying that they don't, right? But I'm just saying to you that advertisers are giving you what you're buying, right? And I'm saying to you that I can put out transformations I can think of five off the top of my head where people have made significant changes to their life. They've lost, you know, anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds of fat. And the first comment is keep going, right? And that, that gets so frustrating to me. But when you look at the posts that people respond to the most, and I, and I look, once again, I'm not saying this is wrong, but I'm, I'm exposing to you something you might not even know about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that if you put out a picture of a 26-year-old already fit person, people respond to that much better than they do someone that's lost 100 pounds. And to me, the person that's lost 100 pounds of fat did much more to affect their health. And I think that that's more inspiring, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think that the majority of people do, and I have evidence, right? Because if I put out a picture of a 67-year-old woman in a crop top, he gets two likes, right? Three comments, you know? If I put out the 26-year-old, you know, similar scenario, you know, that has every advantage going for them, you know, 354, you know? And, and I think that that's something that we all sort of need to be aware of, right? Because, you know, I think that people responded to my transformation kind of looking back at it because I went from obese to abs, right? And part of what we're going to be talking about is that the goal shouldn't be abs, right? That the goal should be health, you know? And if within that health, it ends up being abs, awesome, right? But I think, you know, for me, it was about health. It was about getting warning signs from my doctor. And, you know, just because I had already gone so far, it felt worth it to keep going, right? But at no point was I unhappy, right? Um, at no point did I not love myself. You know, I say this a lot, and I know this is, I wasn't the first person to say it, but I see people love themselves to their goals much better than than hate themselves to their goals, right? Yeah. And so that's something that I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll be sort of talking about throughout this. Any thoughts on what I'm saying? Because I think that, you know, while Susie deals with many levels of clients, I mean, did your situation ever rise to the level of obesity? For me, no. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah, no, for me, no. 
I mean, it got to like a lot of our clients. I was at a point where, you know, I'd had kids and um, I just wanted to get sort of back in shape when I joined. Um, so we certainly have, we have those clients and then we have the clients that, that um, for uh, health reasons, they really have to lose weight, right? So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a spectrum. Um, I do yeah. feel the same as you, you know, somebody who's, who started at 300 pounds and is now 250 should get the same amount of likes as somebody, you know, who started maybe 15, 20 pounds overweight. Um, and that's just, I think that's says a lot about our society. Well, I don't think it says a lot about our society. Um, I think it says a lot about us personally that well, right. we, we like the idea of body diversity. We like the idea of being supportive of all body types and things of this nature. But in reality, we really literally like the 26-year-old with abs right. and the person that actually made a greater change. We don't like that as much, right? right. So I don't think it says as much about society as it does us personally, right? No, yeah, that's the point, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think that that a lot oftentimes people use it as a crutch, and you know that the media is doing this to you. The media only serves you up. Like for instance, I always say this, right? If if you want to get more of something within social media, keep liking that, right? Right. Like the more things you interact with social media, the more things you're going to get like that. So if you interact with, you know, power lifters that are, you know, 350 pounds, you're going to get a lot of power lifters that are 350 pounds in your feed. That's just the way social media works, you know. And so I, I feel like I don't want to let people off the hook. And I want them to understand that a lot of what they're choosing, you know, is is maybe built in, right? Because we all we don't want to see the person that's gone from, you know, a place that wasn't healthful to a place that's much more healthful, right? They actually have to go to, you know. The end game, the eight pack abs with veiny with veins, right? Right. It's like I I just I just don't know that that's fair, you know. I mean, there was a there was a guy who was, you know, critical of of people that advertise and and he was critical of like Weight Watchers and Noom and some of these other places that really catered a more general population, which I think is, you know, we fit in that role as well. Um, with obviously a performance emphasis, but I thought it, I thought his criticism was unfair, right? Like taking someone, you know, that has a four pack to a six pack, I just don't know what you really did there. You know, I mean, like that's awesome for them that they got to reach that level of peak fitness. But what we see on our end is that, you know, that does take a toll on people mentally. And when you go to that level of extreme to see veins in your abs and things of this nature, if you don't do it the right way, you will often end up with a bad relationship with them. 
right? And so, so let's jump into the topic because we've already been derailed a little bit, kind of like laying the groundwork. Um, but there's one thing that, that gets said a lot from people that have a lot of weight to lose or, or kind of working through maybe pre-diabetic type stages and, and, and things of this nature is they'll say, they'll come on our page, you know, where we're talking about having a more balanced approach and they'll go, I lost 70 pounds doing X. You would have lost 70 pounds doing virtually anything, right? Like when I weighed 260 pounds, guess what weight came off the easiest, right? It was from 260 to 200. I almost had to do nothing, you know, other than just quit eating like a moron, you know. Um, and I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for you because, you know, one thing that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that there's many people out there that are 245-pound females that are 43% body fat that are actually only eating 1,200 calories. And if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. And if you think about the judgment that society places on those folks, they naturally assume that those people are overeating. And oh, by the way, your average bodybuilder who might have, you know, a bit of dysmorphia issues themselves, you know, where, you know, when they got to 210, they thought that they were obese and maybe technically their BMI suggested that they were. Um, there's a lot of nonsense out there related to from coming from those people on Instagram and, and Facebook that says that those people are not tracking their food well or one day a week where they have a glass of wine is the reason that they're failing. And that frustrates me to no end, <laughs> right? I mean, Susie, do you know what I'm talking about there? And, and can you give me like a little perspective on, on your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to generalize. Um, yeah. But I will say that, that most of the people that I deal with who, who have more fat to lose are actually, um, not eating very much um or you know what i tend to see is is you know under eating for a very long period of time you know followed by moments where you just kind of can't control can no longer control what you eat you know so maybe it's a weekend maybe it's a couple of weeks you know sort of fall off the grid and come back um um, you know, a lot of times what I'm seeing is not it's not the food piece. It's more the activity piece. Um, you know, sometimes it's just lifestyle or work demands. Have you sitting all day? That kind of thing. Um, yes. But I interrupt you because we're, we're kind of going down a path that's a little different than what I was thinking. What I was talking about was the. People that talk about food intake being un, underreported. Oh, right. right. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm referring to. And they will often dismiss obesity by saying, 
people are underreporting their food. And oh, 100%. Yeah. Susie and I are going to tell you right now, we believe you. We yeah. 100% believe you that the majority of the time that you're eating 1,200 calories and that that one time that you drank wine is not the reason that you're obese. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But does that make a little bit more sense? Oh, yeah, 100%. And so sometimes the hardest thing to do there is to take someone eating 1,200 calories who desperately needs to lose weight and to know what to do next. So, yeah, go ahead and talk about that. So the part that we just went through, I'm just going to summarize because I think it's really important. If you were living a life that was unattended and you do virtually anything, you will see massive results, right? Yeah. And I would argue that, you know, you would see better results for me to perform. And the reason why you would see better results for me to perform is that if you lose, you know, a lot of weight doing virtually anything because you were overeating previously and now you're drastically under eating, you're not gonna hold on to as much as as much muscle. I actually have a post that's coming out about this that you know kind of talks about the CrossFit 10 or boot camp 10 or you know whatever it is because I think a lot of people that you know let's I'm not really talking about like severely obese people, but you know if you're like a hundred and ninety seven pound female and you've lost ten pounds but you've been doing CrossFit for let's say three to six months, it wouldn't surprise me to put on 10 pounds of muscle in that instance. Because for many of you that have never worked out with weights, or I'm, I'm even really talking about boot camp, I'm talking about a lot of things in terms of physical activity. So I just wanna move past the point of anything you do in the beginning is gonna make a big difference, right? And so that's the easiest way to lose, right? You absolutely did not solve um dieting right you just clean things up and then the overwhelming amount of people that we're going to talk about next is the people that already use that trump card right yeah. so susie started to go into it a little bit and so talk a little bit about that susie because i think that this is something that we see almost every day that truthfully, the good majority of people, they don't believe it, right? And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are 245 pound women, 260 pound women, 310 pound men that are eating like 1800 calories, totally plateaued and frustrated because they believe that everyone around them thinks that they overeat and you know it's you i can't say that i knew what this felt like but after eating reform for seven years you know you hear about the 310 pound man that will not want to go to a restaurant because he doesn't want to be judged for just eating normal right oh yeah yeah and, and so kind of speak to some of that, which we see, and then I can expound upon your point. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hurtful to me sometimes as a coach to hear stories like that where where I have a client who won't eat at work because she's afraid what her um, coworkers, you know, are judging her for eating a normal amount of food um, or only feels like the, the only thing she can eat at work is a salad because that's what everyone thinks she should be eating or, or such and such. So, so yeah, so I definitely have... Um, you know, worked with people who are, uh, I say on the females, as low as 1,200 calories a day, um, afraid to eat, afraid to eat in public, um, and still can't drop weight. And, you know, it's hard to tell someone in the beginning um, when their doctor is saying, I need you to lose weight now. So I need you to cut out carbohydrates, or I need you to, you know, do some some what is that hcg or something h i don't know what that was it's like 800 calories a day or we're gonna put you on a liquid diet and things like that um what's the protein one that that everyone it's uh, like all protein and yeah 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 i mean there's a carnivore diet or something yeah so so their doctor is telling them drastic um, but you've tried drastic, right? I mean, or maybe your doctor is like, doesn't believe you that you're underreporting what you eat or some sort, some such. But um, and Paul is saying like, no, I mean, I, I, I have seen it. I know it. I know it's out there. And, and I know that there's sort of one way to fix that. And it's not always what somebody wants to hear. Um, but it's oftentimes by eating, it's, it's eating more. And that's what Paul experienced, you know, in his journey was eating more is what actually led to, um, you know, being able to lose the weight that needed to lose. So you're bringing me to a really great point because when I think of it, I think of like the Instagram industry leaders that you and I follow, right? Uh-huh. And it frustrates me when they talk about underreporting because you know, oftentimes, you know they're selling some kind of meal plan or something that's basically like a PDF with no follow-up, right? Right. They don't really know whether or not those people are being compliant or not, you know? And the person that's reading that information often is not the person that they may be directing it to, but I didn't even think about what you just said because what you just said is actually much bigger. Most of the people that go to their doctor, the doctor does not give them great advice. And, and just so everyone knows, I am <laughs> pro-doctor, right? Yeah. We are pro-doctor. But man, do doctors have a difficult job. They don't know your food log. They don't know any of these types of things. So when they give you... They're just naturally assuming. So when you come to them, you know, doctors are not required to take a nutrition course. So many of the people that are giving you advice, you know, they might have a better understanding of physiology than most folks, right? But if you say to your doctor that you're eating 1,200 calories, your doctor's thinking to yourself, well, the only way to get you weight loss then is go to 800 calories. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people who've done the HCG thing and they're like, oh, boy, I lost 30 pounds. It's like, OK, how quickly did you gain it back, though? Right. right. 
Like, and they don't look at that part, right? Because you can't set people up. And so that's, that's a little bit of what I wanted to really go through. But I just wanted to point out that it's not just the people on Instagram. It's doctors. It's, it's a lot of weight loss clinics where they set you up for plans that are somewhat unrealistic, right? And so if you're listening to this and you're going, okay, but for me to lose fat, I have to be in a calorie deficit. This is the biggest, I would say, misconception that people have. It's not that you can't be in a calorie deficit because that is undeniably a scientific fact. Mm -hmm. But when you look at how your body down regulates, okay? So your body, when you start to take away food or you start to exercise extremely, your body reacts to that more acutely than it does when calories start to normalize. We see this all the time whenever we move someone to kind of a reverse dieting stage of their journey, right? Where they can actually get to um, their normal calories, which tend to be a little bit higher than most people think, much faster than they lose weight when calories are lower, right? Mm -hmm. and same thing with with activity, because if you think about the natural trajectory of the way people do things is whether it's keto, whether it's the protein only diet, whether it's ACG or all these different extreme options that people go to, right? Your body is going to one, pull a lot of water out, right? That's where you see the big results in the beginning and those can be very motivating but don't, don't tend to hold on to muscle. And so, you know, oftentimes you'll end up compromising some muscle. Now, in the case of extremely obese people, you know, you're going to often, your fat layer does actually serve as a little bit of a protector for your muscle in that instance. But still, we're really talking about pulling out a lot of water out of your organs, muscles, your skin, just your body in general, right? And so that's some of the things that you have to think about. But when you get to that place where you're eating 1,200 calories, you've been doing that for six months, you can't imagine why you're not losing weight, and you're banging your head against the wall, your body is not in starvation mode. Your body is just simply reacting to what stimulus you gave it. Right. And so your body is always looking for balance. And so it's going to compromise a lot of things within your bodily system. You know, I'm obviously just trying to kind of keep this on on like a front page type level, but not really kind of walk into the science. I think there's a lot of people that could do that a lot better than I can. But what I can tell you for a fact, right, is that. There are people that have been eating 1,200 calories, have a lot of fat to, to lose, and they're not doing this one thing that'll make all the difference, right? And so that's what we're going to go into next. When Susie talked about my transformation and, and how things went, just this, 
you know, quick version is that I basically dieted my way from 185 pounds to 260 pounds. And you might think that I'm sort of divorcing myself from responsibility there. Um, I'm not. I mean, uh, truthfully, I don't have any problem saying that because, you know, I was able to maintain 185 pounds um, for a very long time and did not have any problem. The, the issue became when I tried to go from 185 to 165. And that's what sort of led me on the path of extreme dieting for 10 years. And so this is why, you know, we went to a little bit more of a scientific approach. And there's a lot, first of all, every diet says they have the science on their side, right? Right. There's not a lot of diets that really emphasize calories normalizing and reversing to what your total daily energy expenditure is supposed to be, which is much higher than most people think. And so when I started exploring, you know, I mean, this was, you know, I talked about this on many podcasts, but I was just too smart to live an unhealthy life, right? Um, and, and I just felt like all the things that I researched in my life to get really good at, I never really did that with health. And, you know, I was in a transition period where, um, you know, my job situation sort of changed. And, you know, we all think to ourselves, if I was ever in this situation, you know, I would 100% work out more and I would 100% get in shape. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, I got no excuse to not do that, right? And I had money, so I just hired, you know, the best people I could find um, to help me walk through this. and and what each of them did, and I would argue that each of them weren't even as smart as we've become related to what you can actually get away with. But what they started walking me through is that diet cycles needed to be acute. That if you're dieting and you're eating 1,200, I get it, you're scared to eat more than that, but you won't be scared when you start losing weight, right, eating 1,800 calories right, as your calories start to go up, and you go, well, how can that happen? Well, you can still get to a calorie deficit, but when you think about how you feel when you're eating 1,200 calories, one, sleep's probably not that good, so guess what? If you're not sleeping very well, and you're only sleeping four to five hours a day, how are you going to feel wanting to go to the gym, right? Right. So you can still get to a calorie deficit, from that perspective, right? And I'm gonna talk a little bit about that part because I think that part is also very intriguing to me. The things that interest Susie and I probably don't interest you guys near as, you guys and gals near as much because, you know, when we look at what's most important for all of you, we think of your health, right? We're not thinking about you know, being able to see your spleen when your shirt's off, right? right? So, Susie, why don't you unpack a little bit of what we talked about? And, you know, I don't know if you had any thoughts about, you know, what I went into. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, I, 
I don't know what more I can add. I'm just trying to think, um, you know, basically, I do want to add that I think what people don't realize, you know, so the, the female that's on the 1200 calorie diet or the male that's on the 1800 calorie diet, what that does to your energy. And it's like, if you never get enough sleep, then you never know what you're missing, right? So you'll say, I'm not tired. I'm, not, you know, I feel great. I've got energy. And then, you know, you get a couple of nights where you get nine or 10 hours of sleep. And then, you know, all of a sudden, it's kind of a game changer. You just don't know what you're missing. And that's how it works with calories and energy. Um, you might be able to think, you know, I, I can go to the gym on 1200 calories or I can, um, you know, I get through the day, I, I don't feel hungry, you know, I, I, everything feels okay. Uh, but it's kind of like that, that Oprah thing, like you're not living your best life. <laughs> like you just, um, you don't know what you're missing. And I think that's one of the things we find the most when we get someone to add food back in is that all of a sudden, you know, sitting still becomes harder. Um, you just sort of naturally want to move more. Eating low calorie can also be an excuse to not work out because you don't feel like you have to, you know, but then all of a sudden, yeah, you're eating more and then you feel like, you know, oh, I ate this much. I'm going to go to the gym now. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. You want to say, Paul? 60% becomes your new reality. Right, right. right. So you just spend the rest of your life at 60% and you don't even know what 100%. So a lot of times, you know, I would say for the last probably three, four years, you know, there's a reason why I talk to everyone about sleep. It's been a major game changer for my life to make eight hours sleep a priority in my life. You know, and, and people go, oh, I just don't have the time for it. That's fine, right? And I'm not judging you for that, right? But you'll never get better than 60%. You will right. never know what 100% looks like, right? And look, I get it. If I'm a pregnant mom, I'm listening to this and going, oh, my goodness. I, I just don't even know how to unpack what this person is saying. There's just times in your life where that can't be a priority and you just have to deal with it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I get that, you know? And in fact, when I look at my dieting experience, you know, and I think I talked about it on one of the last podcasts, my, my wife said that when, you know, she, and I remember this very vividly, um, when I was 155 pounds, my eye twitched all the time right? <laughs> and and that's really where I'm kind of going with this next part but I kind of want to finish this last part um, is that you don't realize that under eating is causing you to choke down melatonin right you don't realize kind of your cortisol levels are high because you avoid carbohydrates at all cost and, and or insulin and cortisol are natural antagonists. So, you know, when you have some carbohydrates, it actually helps you and allows for a little bit more balance there, but also regulates your cortisol and it might allow you to sleep. And, and I don't want to make this a sleep podcast, but, you know, oftentimes when people sleep, you know, go to sleep exhausted, they sleep deeper, quicker, 
And so they have shorter sleep cycles. And really where your brain repairs is kind of that last 25% from six to eight hours. So if you're getting five to six hours, you're kind of missing on some of the things that your body naturally does to recover, right? And those equal calories, right? And so I'm gonna dig into that a little bit because this is what I think is the most intriguing part. It's the most intriguing part of my journey and I don't talk about it near enough. And we see it often with people who've made these great transformations. You know, I was talking to someone who's down, you know, roughly 80 pounds of fat. And when I say 80 pounds of fat, what I don't mean is that they've lost 80 pounds, right? See, this is the part where I think a lot of people don't factor in. When you look at I mean, one of the biggest regrets, this is actually a podcast or a post that I'm going to be making in the next few days. One of my biggest regrets is that I didn't start lifting weights um, when I was 260. Because naturally, when you're heavier, your body builds muscle to adjust to your body size. And so having a more cardio approach, and once again, I'm not digging on cardio. I'm just simply saying that. You know, a good mix is what I figured out that would ultimately help me. But Mm -hmm. when we look at someone that loses 80 pounds of fat, they might only need to lose 50 pounds, you know, but gain 30 pounds of muscle. I mean, we have an example within the forums of a woman. I can't remember what the number was, but she gained like 60 pounds of lean mass. This is this is a concept that some people have spent their whole life. And um, I can't remember what the doctor, you probably know his name better than I do, but the fitness over fatness guy. I do. Yeah, I, I know his last name's Davis. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny because he gets ragged on within CrossFit because and it's really odd that he gets because some of his funding comes from performance based things like Gatorade and um you know that there's just it's just a very political thing it seems to to me and virtually everyone else that CrossFit as an example should be in favor of you know the idea that fitness is um over fatness is actually more important, and and the um, and what he really talks about is the fact that when you are pursuing fitness, you are pursuing health, mm-hmm. no matter what you're at, right? And um, I want to say it's Pete Davis, but I, but I might be wrong. But he's an older guy. He's like 70, 75. He's the cutest guy I ever talked to. Um, and he had his little little pedometer, you know. And, he, you know, his life goal was to make um, people walk more, right? People right. pursue fitness 
and not be so concerned about their weight, right? Because in the example of the woman that gained 60 pounds of, of lean mass, she affected her health amazingly, right? By doing that. And so, you know, if we're looking at a health solution rather than a seeing your spleen solution, then that is more important. The, the, the vast majority of people honestly don't give a shit about going to the beach and, you know, seeing the ripples in their ribs, right? Mm -hmm. They just want to be around to be for their grandkids. And that, that, that to me is the most important part of what we do. And even in the case where we're talking about a 140 pound female that wants to get to 130, um, food as an ally is important to them as well because performance gets better when you have food, right? Yeah. The way that your body reacts, the way that your brain reacts is all positive. Mm -hmm. But when we look at people who've made great change, right? Um, my example being one, but many of the people that are superstars within the e-form world, um, a great example is Michelle C, right? And I'm not going to give her last name just because I'm going to kind of keep her um, anonymity, but in the forums, she's really well known because once again, she had a dramatic transformation. A lot of that transformation was muscle that she built, not just fat that she lost, right? But now she's sort of like, well, where do I go now? Right? And it, when you get to that place where you see abs, where there's veins, you know, where you can maybe see your spleen, right? What next? Right. right. And that's where I think some of us who've made these great transformations, the next phase becomes actually more important. And I think that there's a lot of people like Michelle. Michelle is like my, you know, sister from another mister, right? Because, <laughs> right. because we, you know, we're just that person, you know, where we just had to know. I don't think the good majority of people that if they go to the doctor and they blow the doctor away with health tests and things of this nature, maybe seeing their spleen isn't that important, you know? And so, and they have every right to be that. Right. I'm just going to tell you that when you lose great amounts of weight, at some point, you got to stop dieting. Yeah. You have to get out of your brain that I'm a dieter, right? And you have to become something completely different. Like when you, when you think of dieting, here's what I want you to think about. The change that you make is similar from a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? The changes that you will start with that make you decent, right, that make a caterpillar, you know, 
you know, ironically, caterpillars eat a lot, so they get a great deal of energy so that they can become this amazingly different thing. Mm -hmm. You can't want to be less of a caterpillar. Yeah. You want to become a butterfly, right? You have to want to be something so different than everything that you could possibly have dreamed. Like a caterpillar doesn't wake up in the morning going, oh my God, when I become a butterfly, I can fly. I can do something completely different, right? And I think that I can relate to Michelle and I know what it's like. And I will say that it, it can get a little frustrating, you know, I think it's more frustrating for women than it is for men, right? Because I, I, I'll just speak as a man, you know, when I was 149 pounds, I've said this a million times, so I'm not going to say it, you know, well, a million and one, I guess not that bad, but, you know, I just look too small, you know, and then my eyes twitching and I'm still kind of stressed out. And I'm working out two, three times a day. It just never seemed like, that was who I wanted to be for the rest of my life. I was glad that I got there. It was a great thing, right? But I didn't want to go from an overweight caterpillar just to a less of a caterpillar, right? I wanted to become this completely different thing. And so when I define myself now, I don't define myself as a, a dieter. I define myself as a crossfitter, a powerlifter, bodybuilder, dad, husband, you know, all these things that are much more important to me. And when I look at the life that I've created now, it's much more about, you know, I never did not love 260-pound Paul, right? There, there were things that disappointed me that I did not make a priority in my life, but I loved myself from 260 to where I am today. And you will get to where you want to go loving yourself there. If you hate yourself there, what I think happens for that person is that they realize often that it wasn't just the way, right? So they get to, instead of being a caterpillar, they just become a less of a caterpillar and they're like, well, shit, I'm still a caterpillar. Right. 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 And and so, you know, we could probably, you know, end on that note. But if you were 300 pounds and you're now 210 and you go to the doctor and everything's fine. Good on you. Right. And, and you love yourself and the people around you love you, you know, like that should be enough. You know, right. don't, don't tie yourself to, you know, it really comes back to sort of what we talked about in the beginning, right? You're going to like the post about the 126 pound 23 year old, right? Ask yourself, are you mentally trying to be that person or are you just happy for them? Because if you're just happy for them, then awesome, right? But if you're viewing them as a template for who you are, you know, I had a lady actually the other day 
tell me what her weight was when she was 18 and, and, and she's now 49, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like wanting to become an alien. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just that different. Your body and the way that it works, it, it, you know, it's going to try and build more muscle. And naturally, as you walk through the world, if you had kids, you know, I mean, one of the most interesting things ever was when Christian um, did body fat tests before she was pregnant. And then after she was pregnant, doing need to perform, she gained nine pounds of muscle. And so any body fat that she would think about previously or weight that she would have thought about previously, you have to add nine pounds because now you have nine pounds more muscle. Right. And so I just I just think that, you know. If I had a wish. I I don't begrudge, like I said, all the people that we help on a daily basis of all body types, right? Mm -hmm. But I really wish that when I talk to a 360-pound person, I know exactly what they're doing. They're auditioning for other things, and if my thing sounds the hardest, we lose. And guess what? It's the hardest for a reason. Because all the simplistic solutions probably what landed you in 360 pounds in the first place, right? Yeah. Because all of us have dieted a lot, right? It's just a matter of what can you find that is sustainable, you know? And then once you get there, you, you have to get out of the cocoon, right? This is This is really sort of the metaphor for what needs to happen is, you know, the reason why people eat 1,200 and they only want to eat less than that or stay the same is because they just want to stay in the cocoon. There's no expectations being in the cocoon. You don't have to fly. You don't have to, get, you know, migrate to Mexico. Right. You could just stay on that leaf and no, never improve, never. There's no expectations with it. Right. But to really go where you really want to go, you got to become a butterfly. Right. Yeah. And that that's hard. And that is is going to be something that you cannot solve in weeks. You cannot solve with a 30 day challenge. Right. You have to view it in phases. You have to view it in cycles and you have to bite it off in chunks. Now, I will say this, and this will be kind of the last point. If you're 360 pounds or you're 275 pounds as a female and you're coming from this place where you did not have a lot of you know, this unattended life. That's how I describe my period where. Um, where I, um, sorry about that, but the unattended life phase, you can actually lose weight when you're in a calorie deficit. You know, you would lose probably a little bit more, 
right? But let's say that you lose, let's say, 20 to 30 pounds, you know, in that first cycle. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't lose 10 as you move to performance, setting up your next cycle, setting up your next phase, right? And that's why when, if you're severely obese and you've lost lots of weight, this is not my first rodeo losing lots of weight, right? You sort of get this positive affirmation, right? Well, it's probably a double negative um, or double positive. Um, but you get this affirmation that the only way to succeed is by extreme sacrifice, you know? And that's not the only way. And, and I think I could make a really strong case. I remember, um, you know, one of my clients who went on a great success. When I said to her that she did not need to diet one summer, um, that she could actually just really work on performance and, and get her calories up and enjoy the summer. It, it was like, it was like showing someone Oz. Like she didn't even think that was possible, you know, because, because since she was little as a naturally bigger person, you know, all she's known is that reality of dieting, you know, and the concept of taking a longer diet break or, you know, moving to a performance phase where you're holding on the muscle and maybe losing a little bit of fat in the process by, you know, working a calorie deficit from a physical standpoint. But but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about even just staying weight stable in that phase, right? To where you don't have this extreme pressure to always feel like weight is the biggest priority in your life, right? Yeah. If you're going to the gym, if you're going for walks each day, if you're naturally active, you're doing a lot more related to your health than your doctor's giving you credit for, than the people on social media are giving you credit for, than the isogenics person is giving you credit for, right? Like this constantly chasing your tail related to dieting, we're not saying you'll never diet again. What we're saying is, is that dieting should not be the biggest priority in your life. And that's from someone who has a nutrition company, right? And so anybody that has a nutrition company that is telling you that your biggest priority in your life all of the time needs to be, and this is how they say it to you, right, is abs are made in the kitchen. They say it to you, you can't outwork a bad diet, right? And what they're really saying to you is misery loves company. Yeah. The way that I live my life, because I'm an IG star, right? So I get all my good feelings from showing my abs to you, right? They live a very restricted life where they work out all the time and God bless them. Like, do you, boo, right? <laughs> but is that you? Are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor? Right? Do you have a nurse? How many nurses do we have? Right? I mean, not everybody 
can live the life that an Instagram model can live, right? Where it's overly restrictive. And I think that their worldview is colored by what they sell and why they sell it, right? Because for them, you know, optimal body composition is their sun. It's what gives them light each day, right? And so, so, you know, you might find it motivating, but is it, right? Is it constantly getting that message that, you know, abs are made in the kitchen, that, you know, because I, I can tell you this for fact, you know, we don't, you know, we've gone over this many times, but abs are not made in the kitchen. Abs are made in the gym. Abs are muscles, right? And And when you look at, following those message of constantly being on the struggle or constantly having to suffer because you think that there's happiness tied to that suffering, I can tell you right now, you're wrong. You can love yourself today and loving yourself today is more likely to give you get you to a healthier place. I'll end on this note. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life have abs, right? Some of the most awesome people I've ever met in my life also have abs, right? But if you're tying suffering to happiness, you're sort of missing the point, and that's the the end game. And so I think that when we're talking about people to have of fats and lose and obviously we've covered a lot of ground here so it applies to a lot of people but we as a company will always be about teaching you balance in your life right and that balance in your life includes sleep it includes having joyous meals right all these different things and if you you know, follow someone on on Instagram or Facebook that is telling you that you underreport your food, and you know you do not, right? Or maybe you think that that one glass of wine did make all that big of a difference, right? I would argue that you should unfollow those people because I don't follow those people, right? Because that just makes me mad because I know the truth. I know. That you guys are more restrictive, not less restrictive, right? But the reason why that those people don't know is because they sent you a PDF or some meal plan that was totally bullshit, right? And that, you know, they hold people to a higher standard than sometimes they hold themselves to. But sadly, some of them do hold themselves to this really high standard, right? And they're miserable all the time. They... You know, all their meals are planned. They eat seven and a half meals a day, right? None of those include things that, that you know, anyone would enjoy. You know, a lot of kale, <laughs> right? Um, and and I, I just I just don't think that, that that is where the majority of people are at, right? And so think about that a little bit when you're kind of consuming things, but also think about, you know, at what point do you get to be the butterfly, right? Um, and I would argue that many of you listening to this right now, 
still think you're a caterpillar when you're actually a butterfly. You just haven't made the choice to not be a dieter, right? And you, you can do that right now. You can do that <laughs> this one second, right? If you're 360 pounds, you can affect your life more by going for a walk around the block than you can any dieting change that you can make today. Right? Yeah. And so, so that's where the that's where I think the power is. All right. Susie, close us out here. I know I'm <laughs> a lot of ground, but any last I know, I know. It's a, it's hard to close. I mean, everything you said is so spot on, but you made me think of a story that I'm just gonna share real quick. We went on vacation not long ago with a group of people from my husband's work. It was an incentive trip. We were on the beach. But anyway, so there's one guy from Florida. I think in five days, he probably never wore a shirt. Like he was abbed up like, like any guy there would have been jealous of this guy. And then, you know, when you, when you dig deeper, he's going through a divorce. He's, you know, there's a lot of really tough situations going on that every other person there was like, you know, you were thankful for who you were and thankful that you didn't have those problems, right? And so what Paul's saying is, you know, just look at who you are, look at where you are in your life, um, figure out who you want to be. Um, you know, do you want to be the the dad who's playing with his kids and and having a good time and you've still got your wife there beside you and 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 you know, maybe you've got a dad bod and that's fine. Like, go for it. Be that guy because the world needs all types. And, um, you know, I think that's that's important. And I think um, the caterpillar and butterfly analogy is perfect. Um, caterpillars don't diet their way into becoming butterflies. Um, there's a reason why that caterpillar in that book eats everything <laughs> and then goes into hibernation. Um, you know, so so I agree. Um, you know, start doing things that will affect your health in positive ways um, without making you miserable. So, yeah. So I know I said I would end, but you made me think of something. Um, you know, the Ed Sheeran song um, where he talks about all these people that he grew up with. I, I think it might be Castle yeah. by the Hill, but it might not be. Um, yeah. But, you know, he he talks about like, you know, One's already on his second wife. One's already um, one's brother overdosed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always think to myself, like, how do those guys hear that song? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, wait a second. This was supposed to be a song that we're supposed to like? <laughs> I mean, you're dating Taylor Swift, dude. Okay. You know, or, or you, you are living this life. Like, why you got to bust us up? <laughs> you know, um, you could have wrote about anything, man. You know, but, um, yeah. So that that's been my my joke for the week. But I think that's a great point. You know, I I I take a little issue with the dad bod thing because I do think I do think that uh, there's probably a little. Uh, I think that you know the people that are. I think fitness should be a priority. When I associate dad bod, I kind of think that fitness is not a priority in their well, life. I got to, like, those and, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, that would be the only issue I take there. But 
All right. Well, I didn't mean. You have a great yeah. weekend, and I appreciate um, doing this. I think right. this was a fun one. Happy Father's Day, everybody out there. Talk to you later. Bye now.